Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Brew City Church. My name's Ian Benson. I'm an elder here uh, at Brew City and also for the day, for the next 35 minutes or so, I'll be your friendly local neighborhood preacher. Uh, so thank you for allowing me to do such a thing and honoring me with, uh, you know, listening ears and all that. Um, I'm going to pray for us before we get started. How about that? Let's do that. Um, Father, it is good to be called your sons and your daughters. I love that your scriptures use that language and talk about us like that. Uh, man, I want to know how much more um, what that looks like in my life. Uh, I want that for each and every person here. I want to know what, what the language of family looks like and, and how that, man, how do we do that? I trust that your ways are um, so much better than mine. Your, your plans and your methods and your, uh, the way that you go about enacting your kingdom, enacting your authority on earth as it is in heaven, I believe that your ways are a lot better than ours. So today, would you give us a little, a little glimpse of what that could look like, a little bit more insight into who we are as your sons and daughters and who we are to one another in light of that. Yeah, it's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. <clears throat> as, uh, excuse me, as Shelly said, we're finishing up today just this little quick mini sermon series on our mission statement. Um, if you just threw up in your mouth a little bit, that's okay, I get it, I understand. I'm not a big fan of mission statements. I'm just going to be totally honest with you, I don't really like mission. In fact, as I was preparing for this sermon, I was started to go and look up mission statements. Like just what, that's just, I mean, it's just not fun. Mission statements are kind of boring. I'm just, I'm sorry, some of you, this is like your job, so I'm not like poo-pooing what you do. Like do, do the best job you can. But by and large, I find mission statements to be kind of hokey. You know what I mean? Like a little bit hokey, um, maybe even a little bit manipulative at times. Uh, I don't know, but I get it. Like they're tra they're talking about companies, usually companies, organizations of some sort who are trying to like position themselves, you know, in and amongst their competition so as to draw, you know, revenue or whatever, all these kinds of things. But it should say something about the company, right? At the very least, you should be able to look at a mission statement and then go, oh, I know who that is. Like to me, that's a or get some sense of what this company does or what their thing is. So here's what we're going to do. Just for fun, this doesn't have any like biblical basis at all whatsoever. Just for fun, we're gonna, I'm going to read some mission statements to you. Real mission statements. I want to see if you can figure out what company it is. Okay, So you, you try to see what company it is just simply by hearing its mission statement. So here, here, here we go. I'm going to try a couple of these. <clears throat> to be Earth's most customer-centric company where people can find and discover anything they want to buy online. Amazon. See what, the, on, the buy online thing gives it away, right? I feel like you could put anything, like you could say anything before want to buy online. It could just be gobbledygook, like just pointless words. You'd be like, oh, that's probably Amazon, right? Like that's, okay, let's try another one. Uh, to give people the power to build community and Bring the world closer together. Those are lo that's a lofty mission statement. Who's that, do you think? Facebook. 
come on, give me a break. Right. I mean, you know, hey, I'm sure somebody got paid a lot of money to come up with that. Okay, here's another one. This one I like. To inspire and nurture the human spirit, one person, one cup, and one neighborhood at a time. Starbucks. Now, when I first saw that, I was like, give me a break. <laughs> right? To inspire, l- listen to those, l- listen to that language. Nurture the human spirit. It's like there's two words that just stand out from the rest of all those other words, and it's one cup, right? But then I realized, as I was reading this, I hadn't had any coffee yet. So then I had some coffee. Then I read it again, and I was like, that's not bad, actually. <laughs> like, that's kind of good. Like, that kind of makes sense now. I understand what they're saying. Like, yeah, totally, to nurture the human spirit, one person, like all mankind. Yeah, you just need, like, a cup of coffee, and, like, you feel like you can do it, right? Like, that's, that's, that one's not bad. Okay, here's another one. That I, this one was hard. I didn't think I would get, I wouldn't get this one. Uh, but first service, like, they knew it right away. We inspire, educate, and outfit for a lifetime of adventure and stewardship. REI. Yeah, good one. That's a good one, right? See, there's always, like, that one word or little thing that, like, tips you off. They're almost, they're basically all the same. If you start to think about, it, like, what are they actually saying? They're all the same. They just, like, Sneak in like their little word, right? Like one cup to buy online, to outfit, you know? Like there's just that little thing in there that makes it like, oh, I know who they're talking about. These are mission statements. These are their missions, right? Statements of their missions. But here's a question. What's the church's mission? So what's the church's mission? If you're, if you're thinking in your head, like, what does that look like? It, it can boggle your mind quick. Because mostly when we think of the church, and I'm talking like capital C, the church as a whole, right? Christendom or however you want it. What is the mission of the church? That looks way different from fellowship to fellowship, from denomination to denomination. When you start to try to get into like what's the values and the methods by which those values are brought and how do you enact those and all that kind of stuff. Like how do you, what is the church's mission? Well, it turns out we actually have a pretty good template, or at least the beginning of what the mission of the church is. And Randy got into this last week when he talked about kind of kicking off this mission statement, little sermon series that we're doing. He, he tackled the revealing the beauty of Jesus, and the, he launched into that based off of the Great Commission. Right? You've probably heard this. If you've been around any church at all, you are probably fairly familiar with what the Great Commission is. But let's just review a little bit. Let's read it together. This is, this is, these are Jesus's, what Jesus says to his disciples before he ascends. It's from Matthew 28, verse 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So what's the mission of the church? Like we talked about last week, quite simply to make disciples, which sounds simple and obvious making disciples, that wherever we go, we should be 
not only seeing the beauty of Jesus within ourselves and identifying ourselves with that, but seeing the beauty of Jesus in other, in other people and other things and doing whatever we can to sort of like draw that out and recognize it and call it out that, that Jesus is, is the way to redemption and reconciliation and the, he's the way and he's that truth and he's that life and, and that's beautiful. And so that's got to be part of it, that, that making disciples has something to do with that. Right? It has something to do with, let's just think about how you make disciples. Like if you, were, if you were starting this, if you were there in Galilee and Jesus said this, and like, all right, we've got to make disciples. What do we do? Let's go. Here we go. We're all going to go. We're all going to go make disciples. What would you do? I'd probably baptize people. But what, 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 how would you do that? Would you just like, you, come here, and then just like dump water on be like, baptize, and then, you know, pull out hoses on crowds, just baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Is that what he means by baptize? What about teaching all that I have told you to do? Teaching them to obey everything that I've, I've taught you. How, does, how do you do that? Is, is this making disciples? Am I, is what I'm doing here making disciples? Let's just, I mean, think for a second. Is this how we make disciples? You come to a building on a Sunday morning and then we sing songs, you say hi to people, you drink some coffee, some person gets up here, talks at you, <laughs> and then, right, is this how discipleship, is this what Jesus meant when he said go and make disciples? I don't think so. I don't think so. What about, I mean, traditionally the way I was taught, discipleship was almost synonymous with um, getting saved, right? Like you just, like, save souls is discipleship. And so what you would do is you would, you would like, essentially guilt people into praying the sinner's prayer, right? Like, that's how you do it. You say, like, you're going to hell, and you better do something about it. Like, you better, do some, you better do something about it. Here, I got something for you to do about it. You can pray this prayer, and then you won't go to hell anymore. And then, and then the person prays it, and you're like, discipled, done. I'm awesome. I just discipled somebody. Like, that's how I, that's how, that's, that's a much of what evangelicalism has been over the last, and I don't want to paint with too broad of a stroke, but honestly, that's how we, we treat it, right? This whole ship's just going down, just get people on lifeboats, right? Like, that's the attitude. I mean, that's not what Jesus says. He does say, go make disciples. Actually, the way the language is written, it's as you're going, make disciples. It actually has this continuity to it. It's not like go to that specific spot, stop what you're doing, and then make disciples. It has this feeling in the original language of as you're living your life, make disciples. Bapt as you're living your life, baptize people. Teach them. As you're living your life, teach people to obey the things that I've taught you. This is making disciples. Well, what I want to look at today is one of the main disciple makers, if you will, in the New Testament, and that's the Apostle Paul. He's given this charge, he's given this commission to, to take the gospel to the Gentiles. It's an, a huge task. Cross, crossing cultural boundaries, crossing geographical boundaries, crossing language boundaries in many ways. He's given this task to do that, and we get a glimpse of how Paul makes disciples. We see real people living real lives that he's in relationship with, that he's making disciples of. 
and it's presumed, it would seem, that then that trickles down throughout the rest of the church in the earliest days in the, in the first century. And we get real glimpses of what this can look like. And so today I want to look at two of Paul's disciples, Titus and Timothy. These are two people that we see in the scriptures that, that Paul knows uh, very well. And we're going to see how well he knows them. So let's just, let's just back up. We're going to bop around through some scriptures. We're just going to kind of jump through some things that um, have to do with Titus and Timothy. And as we go through this, let's, let's look at some of the language and some of the things that Paul is saying to and about Titus and Timothy to try to get a picture of what discipleship looks like because clearly this is the mission of the church all right let's look at first of all just real quick titus 1 4 these are usually skip over verses right these are the verses where you're just like let's just skip this part and get to the meat of it but listen i want us to think about some of these things and what they say to titus my true son in our common faith notice my true son he doesn't call him his disciple he doesn't call him his em- employee. <laughs> to Titus, my employee in the faith. No, he says to my true son in the faith. Well, that's interesting language. All right, let's look at another one quick. Second Corinthians, still Titus. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13. I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there, so I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. This sounds like a, just a, a throwaway verse. Like, why... How are you telling me scripture is inerrant when you have this like meaningless verse in there? It's not meaningless. This is, this is if you look at the whole context of it, Paul is saying to the Corinthians, he's, he's recalling part of his travels, and he's saying, I, I missed Titus so much that I actually left one city, went to another one to find him, and he wasn't there, and so then I went to another city to find him. And he calls him his brother. It's his true son in the faith his brother, we start to get a picture of who this Titus person is to Paul and in Paul's heart. Again in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul, Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. I had boasted to him about you and you have not embarrassed me. But just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. Just stop and think about this first. First of all, Paul is attaching his reputation to Titus among the Corinthians. He's attaching his reputation to Paul. He's saying, I'm... I'm trusting you Corinthians that like I think you're awesome and I'm telling Titus this and 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 it proves to be true and he's like yep I thought it would and then that same sort of honor and respect comes back through Titus Titus is not just an employee this is a a trusted son brother this is the, these are the kinds of language, the kinds of verbs that are used to describe Titus. I hope you're hearing this. The honor that's given between Paul and Titus is real. Right? He's not just like checking up on him or, or, 
okay, go do this, but then I'm going to make sure that, and, and then I'll do it myself anyways. No, he actually entrusts Titus to do this, and it comes back true, like his word comes back through the Corinthians and vice versa. It's not just Titus, it's Timothy. Let's look, at, let's look at Timothy. Again, let's just bop through some of these passages. Looking at Acts, this is the first time Paul's running around doing his ministry and he comes across this person, Timothy. And we get that, this in the narrative. Again, this is kind of a throwaway, throwaway passage, but let's look at chapter 16 of Acts. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was Greek. Okay, so that's an interesting. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. Ouch. Don't, don't do that in your discipleship programs. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from tra town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. Listen to how, so this is just how Paul comes across Timothy. Now listen to how he talks about Timothy later when he writes, starts to write him letters. He says this in 1 Timothy 1, 2, to Timothy, my true son in the faith. 2 Timothy, the second letter he writes to, to Timothy, chapter 1, verse 2 through 5, to Timothy, my dear son, my dear son, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as day and night I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, who we know Paul knows, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. Paul's affection for Timothy is clear, and it should not be overlooked, friends. His affection is directly tied to the knowledge of his family, and he sees in Timothy things that only a person who's lived life with them can know. This is not a CEO giving down marching orders to subordinates to carry out a mission that's in a corporate statement. That is not what's going on here. If we want to know what discipleship looks like in the New Testament, it looks, at least at this point, as we're, as we're reading through this and thinking about it, at least at this point, it involves sharing life with someone to the point where you can actually recall, when you think about somebody, you recall them crying on your shoulders and it actually brings you joy. That you refer to, in your heart of hearts, you're referring to the people that you are doing this with, in, that you're sharing life with as a true son, a true brother, a true father in the faith. Now we're starting to get a picture of what discipleship can and should look like. Friends, this is a problem in the church, capital C, specifically evangelicalism, where we have taken the process of discipleship and we've put it on the shoulders of titles instead of family, right? Where we've taken lead pastors down to pastor of certain things to right, lay leaders to volunteers and this becomes the structure that we think the kingdom of God moves on and it does not. And those, and those titles aren't in and, in and of themselves bad. A lot of times they help structure things and help us to understand you know, 
acknowledge gifts and, 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 and what people's roles are in the church in certain ways. But it is, make no mistake, this is not how the kingdom of God moves forward. The kingdom of God moves forward on relationships. It moves forward on brothers and sisters acknowledging one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. It moves forward on spiritual moms and dads stepping up to the plate and being that for those under their care. It, it moves forward on, on us being sons and daughters to one another. Now those are big concepts. Let's, let's read a couple more passages. Let's start to fill this out a little bit more. Let's look at Philippians 2. Again, this is Paul talking about Timothy. He's writing a letter to the church in Philippi, and he says this in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, but not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I, I mean, just stopping there, how many of those mission statements I read you before, how many of those CEOs do you think would talk about their lieutenants in such a way? <laughs> it's been like a fa- this is like a father-son relationship in the way that we run this company. Sadly, many churches couldn't say that. Many churches can't say that, there's that, that any such relationship exists. And here's Paul and one of his disciples. This is not a throwaway verse. This is how the kingdom of God moved forward in the first century. This is how the kingdom of God moved forward now, just to finish a verse. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Paul loves Timothy as a father loves his son. Paul isn't giving directions like the CEO who gives directives to his subordinates to carry out. He's involved in Timothy's life to the point where they cry together. I mean, think about that. There's a, we know a bunch about Timothy from all of the New Testament um, he was young, we know that, like way younger, probably to the point where um, he wasn't very well respected in, in many churches. And at one point, Paul sends him to Ephesus to establish a church or leaves him in Ephesus to establish a church and to sort of like get the groundwork going. And from what it seems like when we start to piece together when certain letters were written and what the timelines of things are, um, there's a good chance Timothy had major problems in Ephesus. Uh, like probably was rejected as a leader, um, probably just didn't have the respect. There were some things going on in the church. It sounds like either, you know, he probably didn't handle all that well, but also the church was not doing so good. And, and here we get this little glimpse of Paul. I mean, I can just picture Timothy like crying on Paul's shoulder, like I don't know what to do. And Paul recalls that and says it fills me with joy. Is, this is discipleship. I mean, we're talking leadership level here, but I promise you, this is all up and down all the way through the church.
This is discipleship in the kingdom, a father and a son. And this brings me back to where I started before. What is the mission of the church? And therefore the mission statement. And we could debate on and on and on about what denominations certain values and missions are and, and some of that's valid, good discussion and, and all that kind of stuff. But for us here at Bruce City Church, I, I would say it's pretty simple. Discipleship, the great commission of Jesus, it occurs within the family of the kingdom. You just can't move past that point. There is no way that we can talk about discipleship, that we can talk about the mission of the church if, we, if we're not going to talk about kingdom family. Okay, but that leaves us with a problem. Here's the problem. I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm just going to go out on a limb. Bear with me. I'm going to guess that none of your families are perfect. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that um, probably most of us, like, we're not supposed to use language, like, to with totality in it as preachers. Like, it's just generally, like, unless you're all of our families suck. Like, I'm just telling you right now. Like, on one level or another, ex you know, either extended or immediate or one, like, there's problems. We all have problems. I mean, unless you're like, I mean, if you're like the one person here who's like, I don't know, my family's pretty perfect. I mean, God bless you. Like, but live a little bit longer, and that's probably going to change. Like, it's just, <laughs> like, there's, there's no such thing as, as you know, the cleavers, like the, the leave it to beaver thing, it's, it's not real. That's just a marketing ploy to get you to buy things that was created in the 40s and 50s, right? Like there's no white picket fences. There's no such thing as, as you know, a focus on the family and reverting back to like, you know, one mother, one father, or two and a half kids and the white picket fence. Like that's just not a thing. Because let's face it, sin happened. It did. And it broke us. And we, and we all suck now. <laughs> like on one level or another, we make mistakes. And, and there's trauma, right? There's bad things that have happened to us in our families. A lot of us don't even know what fatherhood looks like. Because we never had a, 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 either didn't have a father period, just missing, or had really bad experiences with that. Or motherhood, or brotherhood, or sisterhood. Or don't know what it looks like to be a a son or a daughter. We just don't, we think we do. We think that's it, what we've experienced. But at the end of the day, we're skeptical. And so we, I stand up here and say things like family of the kingdom of God and we need to be family to one another. It's really easy and understandable to have a disconnect there. Like how does that, I don't know how that jives with one, how does that going to stick just, just give me the formula <laughs> that I know I can go to heaven with and then I'll, uh, like I'll try to survive the rest of my life a as is, right? Like, I mean, that's how we, a, a lot of us revert into that place where we're just like, I don't know, I don't know what that looks like even. What I want us to understand today more than anything, more than anything, is that those uh, relationships have been redeemed at the cross of Christ. That the, the very concept of fatherhood and motherhood and sonship 
and daughter, and what it means to be a brother and a sister and a daughter of Christ, but then of like each other, that there's actually spiritual moms and dads that, that surpass our biological families, that no longer is your name, read identity here, no longer is your name and identity determined by, by your biological family lineage. This is what the New Testament is about. I mean, this, read the book of Hebrews. Paul, or whoever the writer of Hebrews is, just goes off on this. No longer, because this is the major issue in the New Testament, right? Like the Jewish people are like, that's our identity. And Paul's like, no, no longer is it the bloodline because at the cross something happened. Jesus redeemed these concepts of what it means to be a dad, what it means to be a mom. And it's all available to you now. It's all there for the taking. It's all there for you to, to say yes to and to step into. Some of you are spiritual moms and dads and you don't even know it. Some of you have spiritual moms and dads and you don't even know it. We need to know it, friends. I want to give you just one last, one last passage, one last example of, of just what this looks like. That You've probably heard this a million times. This is from John. Gospel of John chapter 19 says, near the cross of Jesus, this is Jesus is on the cross. He's about to die. He's breathing his last breaths. Jesus stood with his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple who, whom he loved, who's John, standing beside, beside her, he said, woman, here is your son. And to his disciple, he said, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. And we know from some historians that Mary went on for sure to live with John probably for the next like 11-ish years. And then some people think she actually went with him to Ephesus and John was a leader in the church in Ephesus for a while and that that's probably where she died. Now you could say, and a lot of people will say this, like, well, she was just, he was just trying to look out for the welfare of his mom. Like somebody had to take care of her so he just passed her off to John. But I don't, I think it's, when you take this in the context of the whole of the New Testament, I don't think this is a throwaway story, that this is a throwaway narrative. Jesus is literally hanging on the cross. He could have said a lot of things in that moment. You don't think he could have said, told, like made that connection beforehand or after he was resurrected? He's literally laying, hanging on the cross about to die and essentially says, your concept of family is no longer what you thought it was. It all comes through me now. All of fatherhood, all of, all of motherhood, it comes through me now. The brokenness in your family is no longer your story. The mishaps, the trauma, the decisions that you've made that have, 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 have caused heartache in your family, that is not your story either. Your story now comes through me. See, God has redeemed family in Christ. He hasn't, he hasn't reinvented it or, or even redefined it, but he's redeemed it. Redeemed, the word redeemed just means that it's been set, it's, it's been set free from prison. That's what redeemed, whenever redeemed is used in the Bible, it, it, it has to do with a, a slave that's been set free. Somehow under sin, these concepts of what motherhood and fatherhood and family in general became oppressed 
and pushed down and, and into the muck. And at the cross, they've been released. And so it looks different now. It looks different in our lives now than what you might have thought before. It doesn't have to be a biological threat. Now, I'm not saying, like, stop calling your mom mom or something. Like, I'm not saying that. To stop calling your dad dad or, you know, your brother your brother. But what I'm saying is we've got to have an expanded vision for what this looks like in our lives, folks. We've got to pay attention to what the Holy Spirit is doing because it's on the foundation of these relationships that the kingdom is moving forward. It's not on the foundation of titles or who's the best speaker or who has the best worship set or who, you know, what the latest trend is or who's got the most followers on this, that, or that. It's, it's on the relationships. This is why I preach and teach so often that, man, we just need to, like, humanity just needs to treat itself better. Like, we just need to treat each other better because I believe that actually treating people with, with honor and respect in the smallest of ways and just a little, like, nudge, a comment, a small action, that God actually uses those places to bring reconciliation and redemption, even though you don't see it. He does. I'm telling you, he does. And when we start to pile those things on top of one another over and over and over, those are called relationships. And then when we're in relationship with people long enough, then those relationships start to get defined a little bit, right? And we can actually say, oh, I look up to you as a, as a mom, as a dad. I've had spiritual moms and dads in my life. I've had people that I've looked up to whose words are weightier than other people's. Do you know what I mean? Are there people like that in your life? Maybe the Holy Spirit's trying to tell you something. That, the, that, that there's a mom or a dad, and it doesn't have to be like your, your earthly mom or dad, your biological mom or dad experience. It can be different. It will be different. Or maybe in the other direction, there's people that when they cross your path in your life, you remember how they cried on your shoulder, and it brings joy to you, like Paul speaks of Timothy. Who is your family? Where does your family look like? Look, just, to, just as we wrap up here, I want to make sure I'm clear on a couple things. One is, don't give up on your biological family <laughs> like just because it's difficult. Like, I'm not giving you an excuse to like not call your mom anymore because she's annoying you, pestering you about whatever thing. That's not, like, you, you, you hear me on that. Don't, don't give up on biological family, but also the hurt and the trauma and the dysfunction and the brokenness that has occurred in our families. I give you permission to not receive that. I give you permission to not receive that. I, I don't give you permission. The cross gives you permission to not receive that. The cross says there's a different story for you now. Your family name comes through Jesus Christ. Your family name doesn't come from your biological father. This is why the concept of adoption is remarkable. It is, I'm telling you, it, the concept of somebody who's been adopted in like a legal sense, like recognized by the state and government and all that kind of, that concept, you, I'm t you are seeing the kingdom of God on earth in, that, in those places. If you yourself have been adopted, if you've adopted someone, if you've come in con like you know somebody who has my god that is that is remarkable you are getting a glimpse of heaven friends you are getting a glimpse of heaven this is what's in, in store for all of us for all of us this is all of our stories now 
that through the cross, you get your name, you get your identity. It's not because of the brokenness has, has occurred in your family, and now there's a new family, which may or may not include biological family, to be honest. I, I have three daughters, and I'm confident, like I'm, I'm their dad in every sense of the word, along with their mom, uh, my wife. Like, we're their parents, so we like, I mean, we're their parents, so we have to like feed them and, you know, give them shelter and like the most basic level of parenting. And, and then also like disciplining them and like wiping their butts and like the whole thing. Like, like parent on every, in every possible way. I'm also their spiritual dad right, in many ways. I am their spiritual dad. I'm like the main influence on their spiritual growth. And so I think about that and I consider like where they're at and what they're thinking about and how to foster that and all that kind of stuff. But I, I don't know this because I haven't experienced it, but I'm assuming that eventually I won't have to provide a roof over their head and won't have to feed them and won't have to wipe their butts. Like I'm just assuming that that's a thing that they grow out of this, right? I'm also assuming that I won't be their spiritual dad for their whole lives. That at some point, actually, some of you probably will be. You'll be, you'll be moms and dads to my kids. That there'll be, there'll be a season for it. There'll be a place where um, either I'm not capable of it or for whatever reason in God's divine wisdom uh, and power has deemed like, okay, I want you to t- take a step back because I'm going to bring this other person into your daughter's life that's going to foster their, they're actually going to be their spiritual mom or dad, and you're not going to be for a while. That's hard for some of us to, to recognize. That's hard for, that's, that's one of those aspects of like how do, we, how do we combine biological family and spiritual family? Sometimes that's what it looks like. It does. It, there's, season, there's a seasonality to it, right? There's, there's seasons where you come into it and, 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 and you have people who come into your life and, and maybe it's just for a moment. Here on a Sunday morning, somebody says something to you and it, it pastors you and it warms you and it, or you to another, or maybe it's for, you know, a school year or a time when you had that job, or maybe it's for life, but it happens. It happens. I promise you, I guarantee you that this is a thing. This isn't just fluffy language. The, the talk of family is not just things to make you, like, feel good or put language on on hard things. This is, a, this is a rock solid theological construct that says the, the method by which God moves in this world is through relationships. And if we ignore those relationships or if we boil them down to um, either only what our biological families look like or, or we boil it down to just like catchphrases and mission statements, It just doesn't do it justice. This is how God moves amongst us, friends. My hope is, my prayer is that we would just recognize these things more. A lot of times that's all it takes. It's just recognizing the relationships that are in our life and going, man, I just really love you. Like I, when you, when you give me advice or you speak things into my life, it carries weight with me, like more so than other people. Or when somebody comes across your path and you see them and you're like, man, I just, like, I think about you when I'm not, like, that predicament that you're in, or what, how life is, like, man, I pray for you. 
You sit on my heart. Tell them that. Tell them that. The Holy Spirit is knitting together kingdom family there, folks. That's what's happening. We have a mission statement here at Bruce City Church. Obviously, you probably know this, and it's um, revealing the beauty of Jesus, building kingdom family wherever we, wherever we can, uh, and, and doing this together, living, intersecting our lives with one another, living life on mission together. Um, and, and to be honest, just as somebody in leadership who's generally skeptical of, like, mission statements, and, you know, you probably heard my skepticism, um, I don't care where this puts us relative to other fellowships and how it positions us or whether it increases attendance or any of that kind of stuff. I believe that this is actually how God moves amongst us. So I'm, I'm, proud to, I'm proud to say it. I'm proud to get up here and preach it because I believe that it's real, that it's true. I've seen it in my own life and I've seen it in many of your lives, but I want to see it in more I want to see them more lives. I want to see people recognizing the beauty of Jesus and striving to build family with one another, even in even when we disagree or we don't like. Like that's the thing. Like, fam- I mean, you're going to rub up against each other and bump each other, and it's going to be hard sometimes. But we're going to do it together. And when we do it together, bonds form, family is made, friends um, who for a season might come and go, but you'll look back on them with, with fondness and joy. You'll cry, and it's a good thing. Let's build kingdom family together, on mission together. Let's stand and worship a little bit before we get out of here. So, Lord, um, that's my prayer for us today. Would you knit us together, Holy Spirit? Um, I believe that you are in the hearts of these ones before me and in mine, and I pray that you would knit us together for the sake of your kingdom. That this ship is not going down, um, that it is being redeemed, that everything around us is filled with the glory of God, and that starts and ends with uh, you on the cross, Jesus, and is, is distributed to each and every one of us. And so I want to know that more. Would you call up fathers and mothers amongst us? Recognize, help us to recognize fathers and mothers amongst us to give them honor and respect in your name, Jesus, to recognize them as who they are amongst us. Lord, would you, would you call out sons and daughters to, to, um, to humbly submit themselves, to swallow pride and to re- recognize that we need somebody watching over us sometimes. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to be brothers and sisters, to stand arm in arm as we walk through this life in love and in grace and in mercy because this is your way, Lord. This is the way you move and act amongst us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. who would love to